HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, you're listening to Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and uh, we're here at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, home of Heritage Radio Network. Um, quick note, our sponsor today is Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market reminds you that every bite has a story. Whether it's a tomato, a muffin, or a T-bone steak, your conscious food choices can change the planet. Because at Whole Foods Market, every single purchase helps you make helps us support things like animal welfare, welfare organic agriculture, e- Equitable trade and energy offsets. Let's think before we eat. Let's retake our plates. Check out WholeFoodsMarket.com and WholeFoodsNYC. That's the Twitter hashtag. I did not know they had a Twitter. That's our awesome sponsor today. Um, So uh, speaking of foods, we have a couple of experts here on that subject. Um, They're both gainfully unemployed, apparently, um, but uh, they they are both... um, veteran food writers, uh, cookbook authors, and they actually recently published uh, cookbooks in the last year that were nominated for various awards, um, including the James Beard Awards, which is coming up really soon. So we have Peter Kaminsky. Thanks so much for being here. Great to be here. He's the co-author of Seven Fires, Grilling the Argentine Way. That's that's the book that came out last year I mentioned. Um, he's also author of Pig Perfect. He's a, a producer of, um, sorry, the upcoming... The Library of Congress Gershwin Prize for Popular Song, honoring Paul McCartney at the White House, June 2nd. Exciting stuff. Yeah. And you have an upcoming book, too, in... In next, next year? Yeah, shortly after I finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called Culinary Intelligence, A Hedonist Guide to Healthy Eating. I can't wait for that one. That sounds very intelligent. Um, also, Peter um, Me- Meehan, that is, we have on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hi. Thanks for having me. Cool. So Peter um, has co-written Momofuku, the cookbook, um, with, P- with David Chang. He writes um, various other books stuff he has a he co-wrote the cookbook for frankie spentino which is going to come out soon in june we got a nice blurb on it from peter kaminsky okay (laughs) there you go um so what is it like co-writing these books with chefs 
I think when you finish a book at the end of the process, you always say that you're never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself back at it again. I mean, you've done it more times than I have. Do they at least feed you <laughs> well in the process? I, I think if you're going hungry when you're writing a cookbook, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you've, you've co-written more cookbooks than I yeah, have. What I've brings done, you back to the... Well, I, I, own, I, I work with chefs who I really like. I love food. And, you know, great chefs all have a different take on things. So it's, it's, interesting, thi- it's interesting just to, to see that. I, I, most of the stuff I write is in the voice of the chef. And I find that interesting. It's, 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 it's ghostwriting in a sense, although you have to give structure to it. And uh, I was a National Lampoon editor and writer for four years. And I, I describe trying to get the voice of somebody who you're writing for. It's like parody without the jokes. So mm-hmm. in a sense, it's easier. And, and I, when you cap, when their wife or you know, husband or boyfriend or whatever says, you know, I feel like they're talking. Uh, then I, I feel I've done the job and I enjoy it. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing, I know for the books that I've done, I feel like I've been very close with the people that I've done it with and that it's a product of friendship and it's something that you're doing together and there's, there's, it's nice to have a partner in a project. You know, I don't think I would co-write a, a cookbook or, or write a cookbook for someone that I didn't have a personal relationship with because it would... I don't think it would be satisfying in the same way to try to, to and, and honing in on a voice that you didn't have that much invested in. Right. So it's more genuine than this kind of channeling the other, the other, the cook's uh, voice. And yeah, I mean, I think you try to make it as genuine as possible. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of techniques you use for that. I mean, I don't know how you work, Peter, but, you know, some of like Dave Chang for Momofuku, Dave can write. So there was stuff that he wrote that we worked on kind of like a writing project and then there was interviews and you know transcribing that and, and turning that into into and then you know weaving it all together into like one cohesive piece um well that, you know that, that that's interesting i was just thinking about francis malman who i did the argentina book with is a very good writer he's won a number of spanish literary prizes in fact i think kathy you <laughs> Read he one of his erotic pieces. Uh, he definitely can write some really good erotic uh, poetry. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the thing thing about Francis, who is a writer, he couldn't write this book in English because if you have this Spanish style, and he speaks very good English, but if you have this Spanish style, it tends to be more formal, more literary, more poetic in a sense. So we took some of his stuff actual writing writings and reset them as lines of poetry which you know they kind of uh, of read at, uh, they read that way um but other guys like Danielle Boulud or Michel Richard they have an outlook on the world and a way they express themselves and a certain sense of humor and a certain sense of aesthetic and i think you just don't want to run the tape recorder and let that go because it um it's it's not going to work it's it's it needs to read on the page, or it needs to read in your sound in your mind, as you imagine they would be if they were speaking to you. But if they spoke to you, it would be a different language. Yeah, I was kind of imagining. I mean, so did these did these folks actually write down what what they wanted, and then you kind of edited it, polished it, translated it in your case? Um, or I was kind of imagining you were like just you know hanging out with Francis and yeah, that, in Argentina and taking notes and that's what it was. Yeah. 
And um, you, you managed to get a lot of really. I'm looking for this one quote about burntness. Uh, it was like oh, this it's really about great. how it's it's. it's uh, I can find it. Okay, the tomatoes. Or Why don't you and Peter talk about the rest of our lives? And- <laughs> so I, I didn't know that. Um, so David Chang is a pretty good writer. You yeah. think like you know when you have the the and the the co-writer um, that they that person the latter person did all the work, but uh, in this case, no. Yeah, no. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. Um, I mean, I think that book could have come out with just Dave's name on the front of it. Um, you know, it is, it's first person, it's Dave's story, it's its a lot of stuff about, you know, Momofuku, which is all his thing, yeah. but we tried to approach it as a creative project together and to work on everything together, and he also had a lot of input and ideas. He's a, he's a cookbook reader, so he had opinions about the way things would work. You know, even through design, he was very involved with, you know, all the stages and making it happen in a, in a very authorial way. So I, I he's not illiterate, which I think is is unusual right. among chefs. But, you know, it kind of sounds like this book is written so uh, frank and, and it sounds like up close and personal, like he's talking um, like this one excerpt about chicarons, uh, chicarons to start the meal. I'm sure some people saw it as a little fuck you to kick off an eighty five dollar menu. And I can't say that 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 there wasn't some of that in serving a fried pork rind to start a fancy dinner. It's not an amuse bouche in the traditional sense. So he's just he's just really like, you know, very as as people, you know, know him, he's kind of notoriously um candid. candid. Yeah. And and you really <laughs> um and I guess he writes that way too. <laughs> yeah, and some of that, I mean, he yeah, I think he would have taken more of the fox out of the book than 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 I wanted him. You know, he was he was into cleaning it up at the end, but I tried to preserve a lot of that you know, because that is part of how we at least talk to each other. And when, when Dave's telling, you know, when I'm talking to him and we're talking about these things, mm-hmm. it sounds like that. So, the, you know, that's that was the sound that I was trying to capture. And that's also the way that he writes. It's pretty, he's, he's, there's there's not a lot of layers of filtering, you know. on the. It, yeah. I was, was going to say, I think mm-hmm. uh, Peter Meehan, made uh, a good point there about, you know, it's not important if your name's on the cover of the book. I mean, in a funny way, these guys are much more successful, certainly much more affluent than, than we are, you, you know, we writers. But if we've had bylines in the Times and in Food and Wine and in New York and stuff over the years, outside of the town they come from, more of the country is going to know your name than theirs. So, you know, publishers often want it on it. But, you know... I, it w- wouldn't matter to me, you know, that much if my name wasn't on these books. Wow, that's pretty. How about what do you think of that, Meehan? Do you think? Do you would you agree? It's not. I about was the... at the end of this project. I was stoked that my name was going to be on the cover. Like I was really, I was happy with the product. I was proud of it, and that was exciting for me because I think it's it's the book that I'm most happy to have mm-hmm. worked on, um, and I felt really involved in it. But but to some extent, yeah. It, I don't. The I don't go part is all I'm saying. It right. Yeah. It's. It, I don't need it on there for that. And you know, it's just more at the end. I was really happy that what, you know, proud of what we'd done together, and I was really proud to have my name on it. But, but yeah, it's not. It's not essential. And I, you know, I don't think. I don't see my name as much of a brand, but I see how it could become that. You know, like this is the first kind of big cookbook or like cookbook that's, a really that, big cookbook. that seems to be yeah. doing well. Like, so, you know, maybe that could happen going forward. But And I should note, too, to anybody listening who's not holding these cookbooks, that they're really, they're more than a cookbook. I mean, they're 
they're this you know as fat as uh i don't know an inch or so wide and they're full of uh reflections on everything absolutely everything um and of course great photos so it's not you know just momofuku you know photos boom recipe it's a lot <laughs> a lot of re- i mean cr- roasted rice cakes here there's like a whole like um, reflection on Koreans, uh, kids who are eating them. You know, it goes on. And of course, you know, Seven Fires, my favorite part was like the really lucid prose um, that brought the photos to life. So well done. And I wonder if, if they're also great because they're, 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 you know, the last of their kind. <laughs> are these beautiful, you know, heavily illustrated chefs or heavily photographed chefs cookbooks in part happened because you needed to get enough into a book so that you could charge the money for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people enjoyed going away uh, in, the, in these books. But I really wonder with the Internet uh, as become, well, it is not more and more pervasive. It's here everywhere. How much you're gonna, people are going to want to spend, time and money they're going to want to spend on books like these when they can find recipes on the net. I mean, if I, if I'm gonna if I buy some new ingredient that I want to cook, I'll often look on the internet and you know look for three or four recipes and triangulate into a way that seems cool. So I I, I hope we last and I hope we keep getting advances. Do you people. think you could do this kind of work on the internet though? Like have a no site that no. Yeah. Well, I'm like a turtle with no legs. I mean, like I am so slow. You know, like it. I need to write books because that's about how often I can <laughs> miss a deadline, but make it by close enough to have something come out. So I feel like books are just like that's as fast as I can go. Um, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I love what people do on the internet, but I don't know that I could do. I, I don't know that I could translate what we did in that to a to to a format yeah. uh, on a on a on the internet that would have worked the same way interesting it does seem like it reflects a different pace um these these books it's something you can just kind of enjoy savor have on your bedside table and just not worry about you know all the things that people are worrying about when they're clicking around on you know yeah and i'm still goofy for books i mean i buy records me too and so you know that's like i still want books i still like having books i still like that physical presence you know and but and I think people are still buying cookbooks for some reason. You know, cookbook sales are okay. Yes. You know, it's not as hard hit as other categories. So there's something about, you know, the the very physical thing of cookbooks that people haven't given up on yet. I mean, I guess that's probably coming. But. Yeah, I just wonder. I just wonder where it's going exactly. You know, I also think. I wonder what you all think. Uh, when you buy a cookbook, <clears throat> if you take one recipe out of it and make it your own uh i mean in other words it becomes part of your life your repertoire yeah then it's that's a cookbook well bought i mean no one makes uh, 10 recipes from a cookbook Mm -hmm. uh i my rule of thumb back in the day was three recipes Mm -hmm. like make three things that came out well obviously if you get one that sticks with you forever that's great but I mean, I find myself when I buy cookbooks, I cook a lot of stuff out of them, you know, give kind of kick the tires on it, see where, you know, sure. see if it's going to like hang around and be useful. So, so that's the initial stage. You, you know, cook everything, as many things as strike your fancy. And then you kind of realize that there's one or two that, that really 
stick with you you want to make it every day yeah it depends you know different cookbooks different ways i mean like those fergus henderson cookbooks are just like everything i cook out of it is is i i I love his recipe you know his recipe Mm -hmm. right and the, the whole experience of doing it feels like you know kind of going on a trip like i love the way that those recipes work well you know i was other books yeah it's like kind of easy and you work it into your you know into your repertoire with other things Fergusness, speaking of which, I was talking to someone in the last few days. And, you know, if you say, who's the most influential chef in the world? Sort of uh, the common wisdom these days is more likely than not, if they're in the food world, they're going to say Ferran Adria and Il Bouli. Uh, but if I think about what's happening in the world of food and gastropubs and the way we like to eat <clears throat> versus fine, you know, white tablecloth, fine dining. I would say Henderson and what he's done and what he stands for, and, and for the audience, he's this wonderful guy who owns a place called St. John in London, uh, and, he's, he, and uh, uh, he staked out his turf, nose-to-tail eating, just don't waste any part of an animal, although I've never had a fingernail omelet. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think Fergus I, is, I, I, I would call him... You've had one, Peter? Fingernail dumpling. Oh, but please continue. Nice. Sorry. Oh yeah, dude. No. But I, but I, Henderson. If I had to say, like, Calcium. here's the number one, numero uno, influential guy, and in, in where food has gone in the last five or six years, it'd be much more him than Ferran. Well, I mean, I think Ferran's influence is so pervasive, and 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 you know, everything he's done since 1994 has colored so many of, of the trends that kind of trickle down. But I think Fergus is the guy who's like. The Velvet Underground or something like just so mm-hmm. he's it, people are emulating it people are doing it people are taking what he kind of put out there and, and putting their own spin on it but when you go back to those books I mean I haven't been to London I haven't been to the restaurants but when I go to those books and I and I and I cook from it and I read from it I feel like you know you're you're plugging into something that's like a really strong force and Ferran's like Karl Marx and Jesus you know don't judge him by his followers <laughs> yeah. I mean he's a real <laughs> He's amazing. Genius he, yeah. of a person. Yeah. I, I also think that's an interesting um, comparison because I, I think that Ferguson's the nose to tail philosophy, that's a, that's a lesson that everyone can kind of latch on to. It's, it's, uh, it's not restricted to having I- incredible skill or um, technique, like, you know, all, all this, you know, molecular gastronomy that Fran Adria is known for. It's a little more universal, I guess. Well, it's more so accessible. It's, uh, it's more accessible. The home chef, although it's challenging in the same way. You know, yeah. if you if you go as far as he's gone, you know, it's, there's there's an austerity to it Good that word. I think is 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 apart from most home cooking. And there, and then yeah, I mean, like the the trotter gear. You know, the man cooks with a lot of pig's feet. I mean, he's everything has that unctuousness. You know? I love the. Photo, you know, the fly leaves and uh, you know the end papers and uh, nose to tail. It's got one, you know, the classic tattoo of the heart with mother on it and an arrow through it. Except it's a photo of a pig's heart with a real arrow through it and mother <laughs> written on it. So he's a take no prisoners carnivore. <laughs> yeah, well, if you, well, that's and that's the thing. If you get those books, you have to get the British edition that Bloomsbury put out because those are those little white ones that are really exactly. oh I haven't yeah. even seen anything else but yeah no they're American editions but they're not they're not published with the same well it's sure, like I the Stieg Larsson book check it out you know Stieg Larsson the girl you know the dragon tattoo and all and the girl with in in in, in uh, Swedish it's the man who hated women 
not the girl with the <laughs> dragon tattoo. So we're going to come back um, and hopefully talk a little bit more about uh, what these folks like to cook with after our musical break. Um, this song was selected by Peter Kaminsky. And what is it again? It's the Barnyard Dance by Martin Bogan and Armstrong. Let's do it. Let's eat in. We just had to cut that little barnyard dance a little short, um, but certainly it iTunes. sounds. Get it? It's one of the cutest songs ever. It's about a party that the vegetables have, a drunken party. A drunken party that the vegetables have. So it's called the Barnyard Dance by Martin when Bogan and looking. Armstrong. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, uh, Peter. That was uh, Peter Kaminsky, um, food writer, author, co-author of Seven Fires, Grilling the Argentine Way. One of our guests today, and our other guest is Peter Meehan. Um, co-author of also many cookbooks, uh, most recently Momofuku with David Chang and coming up soon Frankie Spuntino, which was excellent. I, I got to get a sneak peek at it. Thanks for sending that. Oh, nice. Cool. It, it looks really cool. Um, and I can't wait to make the recipes really soon. Um, today's uh, show is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. I would like to thank Jack Inslee, um, engineer, uh, producer, and engineer Nat Wiener um, from Heritage Radio Network, which you're listening to. Um, so I just wanted to uh, talk. We're, we're getting on topic about all these influential restaurant chefs and cookbook authors. Um, I want to take it back to simpler times, maybe, and see um, what you guys like to cook at home. Um, if you're ever, you know, just have the time that it's outside of work. Um, does that ever happen or... Yeah, I, your... I cook every day pretty much. Yeah. I, I love to cook. I like. There's two things in the world I like to do where I don't look at a clock. It's fishing and cooking. So <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm not one of those you know three step restaurant uh, uh, recipe guys. I love to cook. So pretty much doesn't matter what I like borscht. I like roast chicken. I like uh, been doing a lot of stuff because it's this time of year before the real greens come in. Uh, mm-hmm. Or the real veggies. I've been doing a lot of pasta with with kale and with chard, and now I've started doing some you know, some things with uh, with fava beans and a little bit of bacon. I do everything with bacon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I want a reason why things shouldn't have bacon rather than why they should. But it's pretty much everything's better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've been I, I had a kid um, four months ago, and I've barely gone out to eat since since then. So. It's mainly been cooking at home. I, you know, I cook stuff out of that book. Wow. I cook stuff out of the Frankie's cookbook just to make sure, you know, it's, I mean, it's gone to print, but you're still like, what if that's not right? Is mm. the red cabbage salad in the Frankie's book? No, sir. Uh, it's a prime meats dish, I guess. I see. Um, you know, yeah, I cook at home all the time. Try to cook a couple times a day. 
Well, congrats! It must be so busy with a you know having a having a little one um, she's, newly she's arrived. Pretty, she's congrats. pretty patient with it. Yeah, <laughs> and you cook too, pretty much most of the time. I, don't I you? do. Yeah, you know, I try to um, sneak it in every every now and then. Um, and I feel like I'm torn between a few different kitchens right now, which is interesting. And I have ingredients all over the place. But, um, yeah, it's just my favorite thing to do is to go to the green market, like, right after the show. I'll, I'll probably hop over there and just see what's around. Um, it's, it's a fun time, I think, this time of the year to just kind of stock it and see what's new. Um, like, Friday there was these beautiful flowering uh, greens. Um, and, yeah, I haven't seen too much else. I, I'm still... You know, waiting for the real stuff. Good word, stalking it. You know, do you, uh, you know, Russ Parsons. Russ uh, is the food editor of the LA Times, and he's he's written wonderful stuff about farming issues and vegetables and fruits. But we were talking lately about when people go, when many people go to the farmers market, they sort of feel they fulfilled their you know lacavore social. A sustainable social contract just by going and shopping, you know, buying there. Uh-huh. He said, but he thinks people, and, and I tend to agree, kind of treat it, often treat it like a supermarket. You want tomatoes, you go in, you go to the first place that's got them, and you fill up your shopping bag. Whereas, you know, green markets like the one we have in Union Square have farmers from southern New Jersey up through New England. Things come into flower and into season at different times. And I think one of the things that gets lost in just going and, you know, making a shopping list and filling it out at the first available stand is, you should, as you say, stalk the green market Mm -hmm. and suss it out. And, you know, if the tomatoes are in from southern Jersey, dollars of donuts, they're not in from the Catskills yet. And, you know, you really need to test out your ingredients and look and get seduced by them. That's one of the great pleasures of, I think, of uh, urban foraging. It is a pleasure, yeah. And uh, have you found anything especially fetching lately? Yeah. Uh, I don't know who these two kids, they're probably, you know, you know, older than anybody here, but anyway, they're younger than me. But they, they sort of, they have these tan, wholesome, blonde farmer tans and a big smile, and they're at, at, at Cabin Plaza in Brooklyn. And I, I just love their stuff. And they have these uh, baby kale, which I've been cooking with for two weeks. Baby kale? Yeah. Just regular kale, not Tuscan, not in no, not Tuscan. It's just, regular old kale, only huh. it hadn't just gotten just tiny, like little yeah. curly. And so you can eat the whole thing. Wow, that yeah. sounds yum! Wow, cool. yeah, you good know stuff. The, you know the Gorzinski farm up at Union Square. Which one? No, the guy with like the huge beard and the really dirty weeds and the you know. Uh, it, it was Gorzinski Organic Farm until you had to pay to get organic certification. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he yeah, was so pissed about it, he called it Gorzinski Ornery Farm. Um, <laughs> changed the name. Uh, but they always have good, I don't know, I got some, like, really baby brothy rub from there on Saturday that was... Oh, and there's like, little cauliflowers now? Yeah, just like, yeah, it. just the first buds of that, you know, like what you were talking about, um, flowering green. So, I don't know, that's been killer. I'm kind of waiting. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for things to keep making their way into the market but the 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 thaw has come you know it's not just like apples and potatoes and the ramps have been really nice but the ramps the the price of the ramps i mean i love ramps i'm not one of those people who like is like a ramp hater or anything but um but the price of the ramps at my sunday market uh at Tompkins square they were six dollars a bunch Wow. I mean, Union Square, they were $3 a bunch, but still, that's like... They're not that different from other alliums of, you know, I don't know, scallion. <laughs> well, they're sharper. Yeah. 
stinkier. They've got stinkier. that funkiness. They've got that sliminess. You know, there's. Uh, years ago, I did a cookbook with Gray Coons called "The Elements of Taste," and uh, in my front yard in Brooklyn, like there's a little border of you know ivy kind of thing. I'm looking out one day this time of year when ramps were in, and I see a bunch of morels in my front yard here. Yeah, in Brooklyn. And I went, well, Gray's a big mushroom guy. And I said, Gray, are these morels? And he said, because I didn't want to be eating things that I thought were morels that weren't and then be dead now. <laughs> and Gray said, yeah. So we had Brooklyn morels and ramps for one year. And every year I go back to that little corner of... <laughs> but I think probably the wrong dogs have been stopping there. So my morel farm is gone. <laughs> That's one of the beauties of, you know, the spontaneity of, of wild uh, <laughs> edibles. It comes and it goes. So a uh, quick question. Um, say you're trying to cook for a date. You're cooking to seduce. What would you make? Meehan. Oh, man. Start with Kaminsky. Kaminsky. He's the oh, steak with here. LSD. <laughs> 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 I'll go steak with pot butter. Pot butter? Well, if he's using oh, LSD. with a nice little, yeah. Well, no. That's a good. I I I, I just I, I have no idea. Well, I've never seduced anybody oh, <laughs> that I can recall. No, I don't know, man. I mean, just great food with narcotics and good, and good wine. Okay, oh, okay, with alcohol. That's always yeah. I I, I hear that a lot. You know, <laughs> just go for the wine. Skip right to that. Into it. So um. Boy, so we really cut off a whole line of. Of conversation here, that you're <laughs> no. Did, did we both That's, just think of steak? That's so sad. How about how about food to turn women off? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> See anything, Fergus? Yeah, yeah durian borscht. <laughs> what's your, how about what's your favorite recipe from both of these cookbooks, Momofuku or Seven Fires? You have a favorite? Well, boy, we're, we're wearing a groove here, but uh, the steak. Doing the perfect steak. I mean, perfect we, we, we steak. worked so hard on that to get it exactly right. So, I, well, no, he's got this splayed chicken with uh, um, a split at the breast, not at the backbone, and crushed, and then in, uh, uh, a paste sort of, of of garlic and rosemary and, and uh, underneath and on top of the, the you like know, a, the, a under the skin and uh-huh. on top of it and on both sides. And then uh, with a lemon peel confit, sort of, which is lemon and olive, lemon peel and olive oil you've cooked, pressed into the skin, and you grill mm. that for about 15 minutes aside. Mm. And I, I, I guess I cheat a little bit. I use my version of Thomas Keller's brine, which I use sugar, salt, honey, and bay leaf to the chicken for, for about the chicken six hours first. before. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Chicken. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, there's a. I mean, I make a lot of those recipes, but there's a pork sausage, like spicy pork sausage over rice cakes in the sambar section, and I typically make it without rice cakes with noodles and like mix up the meat, but it's like a Sichuan style thing with a bunch of creamy tofu that in the end. That sounds good, yeah. And you can kind of vary the formula to whatever you can... Two you more. Know. I want to say. Yeah? Well, there's one that's like you sort of pound down a pork loin, and you, uh, you've confit some orange peel... And you press that and some thyme, maybe a little bit of a brown sugar into it. Mm. That's that's pretty awesome. That sounds good. I remember seeing that. Yeah. And similarly, oranges. Just peel an orange, half of it, melt some brown sugar on a griddle outside, put some 
sugar on the uh, on the orange and then some uh, rosemary. Put that on the grill, and when the sugar turns black, <laughs> take it off, and the orange will yeah. have cooked in stages, and mm. like with some mascarpone or creme fraiche, oh. malto, wow, widow. That sounds amazing. That yeah. sounds amazing. Well, hopefully some fodder for your upcoming barbecues, if it gets nice enough ever. Um, it seems to be getting there. Um, but unfortunately, that's about all the time we have today. Um, thanks so much for coming, guys. Uh, thanks for having thank us Thank you, Kathy. Kathy. You're the best. Totally. Thank you. I mean, what am I saying? Yeah, you guys are the best. No, you're the best. <laughs> oh, you, I'm the best? You haven't even plugged your book this show. Can we, can we get a plug okay. in for your book? It's Come called on. The Art of Eating In, uh, How I Learned to Stop Spending and Love the Stove. I think people will. Yeah. Pretty well. They yeah. don't know it well enough. It needs to be on everyone's lips all do the their, time. Do their moms know that? Do their moms have it on their nightstand is Aww. the question. Well, actually, a friend's mom, uh, Natasha Mass, actually recently told me that my mom read it, read the book, and I did too. And I was like, what? Is this like some mother-daughter? Like, we're both going to read the same book at the same time? I was so, I was blown away. That was really cool to hear. Next stop, Oprah. We'll <laughs> see. Thanks again. I'm really excited for uh, your upcoming cu- cookbook about, and I can never remember the name. Culinary uh, Intelligence. Culinary Intelligence and Hedonism. And I'm excited for yours too, Peter Meehan. Uh, it's Frankie Spatino. When is that coming out? Really soon, right? June 10, 11, 12. So in a couple there. months. Kind of cool. Around, around Flag Day. All right. Is your band <laughs> playing anytime soon? Um, I think we're going to play a, a book party for that. But we just played on FMU last week, so you can go yeah. and check it out in the FMU archives. Great. And it's called your band? Spectre Folk. Nice. Good stuff. I saw this band, uh, the last bit of their set a few weeks ago. Good, Really good stuff. All right. Thanks again. And I'm your host, Kathy Irwin. I'd like to thank Jack and Nat and everybody at Heritage Foods. We'll see you next week.